Hey, so good to uh, see all of you and to worship together. Um, today we're going to be talking about this idea of working hard. And um, I think this is very pertinent to our church, our demographic, where we live in Orange County. Uh, work is something that we value. And um, often people uh, speak about work in a, a positive way, right? And uh, um, often you hear people boasting almost about how much they have to work, you know? Um, someone will say, I, I have to work, I put in 50 hours, and someone will say, that's nothing, you know, I worked uh, 65 hours this week, and so on, and so we have this idea of work, you know, and there's something about work, there's a deep satisfaction that comes from getting something done, isn't there? I mean, there, nothing really compares to, you know, nowadays it's graduation season, these people are rejoicing because they finished something, and you graduated, you accomplished something, and this could be a, a final exam. This could be a project at work. This could be an audit that your company went through, and you had to get there and work nights, and boy, oh, it's done. And uh, you get the weekend, or you get the vacation. And you know, the weekends or the vacations are only sweet when you do work hard. And so there's this uh, interesting thing that we go through. We work hard, and we get a satisfaction from it. And, and you know, it's, I, I think it is that way because we're created in the image of God. We're made in the image of God, and God himself worked. From the beginning of Genesis, he worked. He worked six days. He rested on the seventh. He gives us a pattern. Adam and Eve worked the land that God had given to them. And so it is something that is made in us, and we find a satisfaction, not just in the vacations, but after we had worked hard. It is only sweet after those times. You see a picture of this uh, in one of my favorite movies in Shawshank Redemption. There's that scene where Andy Dufresne asks the guard, um, hey, if I help you with some of your taxes, can you give me and my buds who's working on top of the roof, they're tarring the roof on a hot, humid day, can you give us all a bottle of beer? And um, so he helps them, and then they all get a bottle of beer, and there's a scene, and they're all sitting there, you know, on this hot day, and they're all sweaty, and they've uh, tarred this roof, and they're drinking this beer together. And uh, Morgan Freeman, he says about him, I don't know why he did it, right? He says, and I paraphrase it, he did it either to get, gain favor from the guards. Some say he did that, and he got us all a free round of beers because he uh, wanted to befriend some of the prisoners. But he said, I think the real reason he did it was just to feel normal again, right? There's a sense of hard work and a satisfaction that comes after that. And we've all experienced that. You know, I thought... I was thinking about work, and I thought about my very first job. Uh, when I was 15, um, I got a job at Del Taco, all right? And um, uh, some of you are snickering already, right? Uh, picturing me in a Del Taco uniform, um, yes. And, so, and I've, I've even gone to Del Tacos and told them, hey, you know, 30-some years ago, I worked at Del Taco, and my daughter's like, why would you even say that? You're so embarrassing. They don't care. Like, I don't know, maybe, you know, I just can encourage him. I don't know, you know. So, um, but I worked at Del Taco, and I was 15, and I was really proud because all these other part-time jobs in the summer, you had to be 16 to get a job. But I found out that Del Taco hired 15-year-olds, and I got in there. Maybe it was illegal. Maybe I was a victim of something illegal. I don't know, but I got a job, and I was so excited. And minimum wage in the mid-'80s was $3, I think, 25 cents, right? So after taxes, I get a paycheck, 
and the paycheck would be like $60. And, I, and this was really was, um, now I think about it, it probably was illegal, right? It was child labor, slavery. I mean, it was modern day. Uh, a little funny thing is, you know, I was 15, I couldn't drive. My brother, who was 16 and drove, and you couldn't script this, you know, but he worked, this is like a David Letterman script or something, you know, but he worked down the street at Taco Bell, right? <laughs> and so he would, but he would always get off 30 minutes before me. His off time was at 10.30, I get off at 11, and so his job was after work, he had to bring me home, because I couldn't drive. And so we had this whole thing figured out, he'd go drive through at like 10.35, and he'd order a cheeseburger, right? Del Taco is better than Taco Bell because we have cheeseburgers and fries, right? And Taco Bell doesn't have that. But anyway, so he would order it, and I was the guy on the grill. And there was this hierarchy. It was grill, then it was taco bar, then it was the cashier. So I was on the bottom, and so he would order a burger, and I'd make him like a four patty, you know. It was just this big, and it was a 39-cent cheeseburger, and I'd give it to him and act like we don't know each other. But he would get so bored. Um, in the 20 minutes he had to wait for me, and this is, uh, really is, I, I wish we had social media then. This would have been worthy of an Instagram post or whatever. Because he would walk into Del Taco with his full Taco Bell uniform on. <laughs> and he would sit at the booth and he would just wait for me. And the workers would say, hey, we got a spy, you know, like, what's going on? And I'd get off work and we'd go home. And, um, and the whole scene, I, 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 it's funny now, right? The two of us walk in smelling like grease and... One's in a Taco Bell polyester uniform. I'm in my Del Taco polyester uniform. And we walk in, and my mom is like, you guys, get out of the house, you know? She really wanted to hose us down. Take that off. Put it, do the law, you know, take a shower. You smell so bad. Our house smells. And, you know, but I get that $60, $70 check, and I was so proud of that. And I would go to the mall, and I would buy something dumb. I would buy, like, a $50 pair of shorts with the $60 I earned, and I go to the warehouse, you know, some of you know, you know, and go buy a, look for a cassette to buy, the latest cassette. Oh, I'm going to buy a cassette here. Wow, Duran, Duran, I'll buy this cassette, you know, and then I'm done. I'm, I'm out of money, and that was it, right? And I was so proud. But after a few weeks, I said, I despise this thing. I hate my job, you know? I hate putting on my polyester pants and my uniform and grilling and doing all this, right? But it, it work, whether we're 15 or we have a full-time career, um, Whatever we do, it's something we have to fully grasp here. And James here, and I was really excited for this passage, James is speaking to a lot of us where we go to work and work has become everything. Work has consumed us. And the second part is work is something different than, and it's not sacred, it's my job. Sunday I'm a Christian, but man, work, it has nothing to do with it. And he now speaks to that group. And he talks about the wrong way that you are approaching work. The wrong perspective of work. And why you're doing this, you know, is a, a Professor Benjamin Honeycutt. He's a historian who specializes in um, the history of work at the University of Iowa. And he had written uh, extensively about work and how from the Reformation on and how people had viewed work. And then he says, now, today in America, work um, people go to their careers, and they are not just seeking a paycheck. This is what they're seeking. Meaning, connectedness, identity, and self-esteem. 
It says, we Americans today go to our jobs and we are seeking those things, some kind of meaning in life, some kind of connectedness, identity, and self-esteem. And what he says, he says, as traditional faiths, as the faiths lose followers, the religion of work swells to fill the void. And so people are getting something out of the work. They're going to work, wanting to get something more than it was meant to be. But the Bible here, it talks to those people, the high achievers, right? the high schoolers who are high achievers. Maybe you're taking honors classes. You're preparing to go to a university, uh, a good university. And those of you in university wanting to go and get further degrees. And those of you with jobs, and you have everything planned out. And he speaks to all of us. And this, this is the same for pastors as well. Um, you know, pastors and people in ministry view their calling and how many people showed up on Easter and they, they get their highs and lows from this. He, 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 this is what he says, and he, this is how he addresses people that view work this way. Verse 13, come now, you who say, okay, he's talking to you who say these things, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. You who say, and who are they, the you he's talking to? He, the, these are the businessmen. These are the ones who are going to travel. They're making money. But who are they talking to? They're talking to themselves. They are speaking to themselves. That means their wisdom is coming from themselves. They are closed off from God. And they're saying, it's all about me. And they have become self-reliant completely. You who say, we will go to such and such town and spend a year there. Douglas Moo, in his commentary, says, These businessmen whom James addresses are characterized as deliberate and self-confident planners. They decide where they will go, absolutely certain that they will gain profit from their venture. Boy, they had it all figured out. And some of us have it all figured out. I'm going to work till this age. I'm going to get my retirement or pension. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And we plan not just months, but years and we plan our lives, and in that, uh, God is sometimes forgotten. What are the wrong views of work? You know, first of all, hard work, sometimes we think hard work gives me my significance. Right? It makes the person important. They think they're important because of the role that they have. And this is uh, demonstrated by how we treat people, by their title. If you at your work, you meet someone who is on the top of the food chain at your work, in your industry, and you see them and the way you view them, the way you value them, and you say, boy, if I could just have a little lunch with him, if I could just have a little time with them, if I could, man, just somehow get, and you, you meet them and the way you react, all of that shows how we view people, that those who work hard, we think, are more significant. And you might value someone who has a certain few letters after their name. Oh, he's an MD or JD. Or you say, wow, whoa, you're, you're impressed with that versus someone who has got no initials. Blue collar, working hard. You who say, we will do this, we will do that. The second part of this uh, that we see is hard work allows, we think this is a false understanding, but it allows me to have more control. We have a concept that if I work really hard, Boy, life will be good. I will control my life. And this is kind of a, a myth that we tell even our children at times. Well, you work hard and life will be good. You will control your destiny. And this is what they were doing, right? He says, you who say today or tomorrow, you'll go to such and such town, 
Spend a year there. You think you control life. And we've all experienced, and we know, life doesn't go the way that we plan. Uh, we don't have much control in this. And thirdly, this, that uh, regarding hard work, the wrong way to look at it is that money is my sole motivation. Right? So more money, higher status, I feel better. Um, I work hard for the money. Um, this is my call. Um, and so we see this, that this is not everything, you know. Um, there's a movie, gosh, I don't know how many years ago, you know, the movie Up in the Air, uh, story with, um, starred, what's his name, George Clooney, he was Ryan Bingham, he was the uh, kind of the middle-aged corporate man, he was traveling the world, and uh, it was a scene where he had no permanent address almost, no family, no friends, and throughout all of that kind of gets deconstructed. And at the end, he gets this coveted 10 million miles, and the captain, the famous captain of the airline comes, and they celebrate, they announce it, and by this time, it has become worthless. They give him the card, and he says, you know, to the captain, boy, I've, I've thought about this moment, what I would say, and the captain says, well, what do you want to say? And by the end of the movie, he says, I don't know. I have nothing to say. Um, and this is home for us. We've experienced this. Now, we have to have the right view of work. And James here puts it in perspective in verse 14. He humbles the people who are so busy. He says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life where you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes? Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. The right view of work first of all, is that it is something God calls us to. And so we value work, and we work hard at work, not because the work itself had become my God, the school status had become my God, no, because God has given this to me, and it's very different in the way we approach this. You know, he says this, and this is really kind of discouraging. What is your life where you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes? Why does he say this? He says this. To put in perspective, yeah, your lives are so short. And in the midst of that, you're spending a good chunk of it at work. I'm the one that has given this to you. I'm the one who's allowed this to happen for you. I love what uh, Tim Keller says, the book that we read last year on work, right? He says, a job is a vocation only if someone else calls you to it for them rather than for yourself. And so our work can be a calling only if it is reimagined as a mission of service to something beyond merely our own interest. Thinking of work mainly as a means of fulfillment and self-realization slowly crushes a person, right? And I love that last part, thinking of work mainly as a means of self-fulfillment and self-realization, slowly crushes a person. The work is given to us by God. We ought to work hard. We ought to enjoy it. We ought to treat it with the right perspective. Um, it's interesting. Jesus himself is identified in Mark chapter 6. Remember, he's preaching, and his neighbors are saying, who is this guy? 
And they say, isn't this the, and they identify him by his job. Isn't this the carpenter, the tecton is the word. Isn't this the carpenter? You know, this is what he did. Uh, he was a handyman. He worked. And so God has given us the work that we have, and it is a good thing. The second thing is our work is given by God to serve others. It is useful to serve others. Um, it is more than just a paycheck. And so you might view your job in a positive way or a negative way. Uh, you might value someone else's job more than yours. No, your job is just as valuable. Um, so whether it is through a farmer or baker or grocer, somehow God provides our daily bread. And so we have to understand this truth here. And thirdly is God is our motivation for hard work. Not money, not status, not what I gain from it. But it's God. God gave me this work. It might be being at home, watching your babies. Whatever it is, he is the motivation. You know, it's interesting, in Colossians chapter 3, there's a list of people who are mentioned, and uh, they are told um, certain things, certain instructions. And Paul talks about working hard, right? And he tells them to work hard, but the uh, context of it, he commands it to the bond servants. The bond servants were the slaves. The bond servants, uh, some of them had some freedom. Some of them had no freedom. Some of them were bought and they were owned. And some of the bond servants, they had a little freedom, but they had to do the menial tasks. And it was a job that no one would, when their child is born, and say, boy, I wish you grew up and this is career day that you would become a bond servant. This is something you don't want to do. And yet Paul chooses the worst of jobs, the harshest of conditions, and he says, you become a Christian, and even in the work that you're doing, and the difficult work that you're doing, he gives these commands. Uh, Colossians 3.22, bondservants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart. Fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Sometimes uh, when God gives us a job that we like, God gives us a job that, boy, I've just gotten promotion or I'm getting some recognition from this, and we might say, God, thank you for this. But sometimes we might think, boy, this job that I have, I do not like. It is difficult. And you say, I wish I could do something else, but yet it is still sacred. And I want us to take this idea of Sunday being the sacred day, Monday being my secular day, and to understand that he's called me to this. This is spiritual. You ought to approach Mondays in prayer you ought to approach the people at work as somewhat of a mission field. You can encourage, you can help, you can grow. And you ought to see the unseen hand of God in your work and how he affects many others through it. And so I want to encourage us yeah, to work hard, yeah, to go and do the best things that you want to do and God has called you to do, but to do it. To go to work with the right reasons. Don't let it lift you up. 
Because, boy, you're better than someone else, don't let it bring you down because you think it's such a difficult job. May you work for the glory of God, the one you are serving. And I close with this little um, paragraph from John Ortberg. He says, a calling is something I do for God. Uh, A calling which is something I do for God is replaced by a career which threatens to become my God. A career is something I choose for myself. A calling is something I receive. A career is something I do for myself. A calling is something I do for God. A career promises status, money, or power. A, A calling generally promises difficulty and even some suffering, and yet the opportunity to be used by God. A career is about upward mobility. A calling generally leads to downward mobility at times. And I pray that we as people who believe the gospel, who finds our meaning and value in Christ, would not go to anyone else, not whoever the world says is so important, but we would find it in what was done for us. We would go to work in a different attitude. Let's pray together.